Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 209 of the Spoiler Alert podcast brought to you by MovieOutsiders.com. I'm Danny, and I'm joined by Mike, and tonight we're going to have a very special episode. This is an all what's up with Academy Award winner, 1971's Best Picture, The French Connection, starring Fernando Rey and Tony Lobianco. Mike, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Are we going all what's up with? I love those actors. They're two of my favorite actors. But you're a big, uh, you're a big Fernando Ray fan. Yeah, yeah, I love that guy. Yeah, I celebrate his whole catalog. <laughs> yeah, this is. Um, <laughs> well, we can certainly start start out as we typically do with the Best Picture to talk about that year in movies sure. and the Academy yeah. Awards. But when we get into the film, I think this thing is like 90 minutes of what is up with that. <laughs> I thought you loved this movie. And maybe, I do. And maybe we'll talk I love about it so that. much. Right. I feel like I want to splice in um, the Saturday Night Live What's Up With That song <laughs> while I watch this movie. And the video of Jason Sudeikis doing like the running man in a yeah. tracksuit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so 1971, this movie was nominated for eight, uh, eight Academy Awards, took home five. It tied with two other films, including Last Picture Show and one other one to come in with uh, eight nominations. But this is the big winner, big winner of the night. This was the big winner of the night, but a, a great year for movies. I think that this movie kicked off the resurgence of film in in pop culture i think that like the 1970s i think were the greatest era and not long after this we'd have the godfather we'd have the godfather part two i think that movies just got so fantastic in the 1970s and i think that this was the launching point for them and i think the movies that you mentioned last picture show fiddler on the roof Clockwork Orange. Clockwork Orange nominated for Best Picture. Best Picture and Best Director and Best Screenplay. Lots of others. I mean, a disturbing, frightening, yeah. awful film. I mean, it's a, it's a great movie and a horrible set. You don't want to watch that one with your mom. <laughs> I think that this was this was the launching pad for films becoming really important in the United States again. Yeah, it felt like the Academy had had real balls back then, like real guts to to say that yes. these movies deserve to be lauded and talked about and thought about and written about. And you're right. It absolutely kicked off a full decade of just great, challenging, oftentimes disturbing movies by young filmmakers that just really lit the world on fire that have stood the test of time and then somehow in the 80s the whole academy just sort of rolled over and like hit <laughs> they, the snooze they kind of alarm. bent over i i don't <laughs> think they rolled over they... <laughs> the last emperor was a bend over and they, so yeah. there's a out french... of africa right <laughs> we're just it's just bad to worse sure it's a fire french connection was the first r-rated movie in the new rating system to win Best Picture. Now, Midnight Cowboy, two years earlier, was Went the first the X-rated, X-rated right. film to to win Best Picture. But this this is also historic for the same reason. First R-rated movie. Any other historical facts you want to hit us with? Was uh, Billy Friedkin the youngest Best Director winner of all time? 
at the at time. The, at the time, who who's it's who beat him since? Uh, was it La La Land guy? Yeah. What's, what's, his, what's his name? Yeah. This was also the year that Charlie Chaplin received a, a special Lifetime Academy Award. Which was controversial at the time. Uh, people were not thrilled with his non-involvement in the military in the Second World War, fighting for either the United States or Great Britain. They didn't like his Hitler mustache? Jane Fonda, Best Actress winner for Clute. Is that how you say it, the movie yes. that she yep. won? It for uh, was a uh, controversial winner before she even won because she was nominated and expected to win and also outspoken against the war and uh, military involvement in Vietnam and chose to, mid-acceptance speech, kind of shove it all aside and just thank everybody for acknowledging her uh, her acting ability in the film and and walked off stage smiling and, and thanking everybody. Funny how that happened. Vanessa Redgrave, by the way, was barred from attending the event by the Nixon administration. <laughs> Just a I, weird time. In fact, I think that Jane Fonda and maybe only Julie Christie were, I think they might have been the only two actresses nominated that were actually there at the ceremony that night. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Yeah. I just think if you look at the Best Picture nominees that year, and even just three of them, if you just watched Fiddler on the Roof, The French Connection, and A Clockwork Orange back-to-back, you would be so confused at the what the hell was going on in the world at the <laughs> right. time. Have you seen Last Picture Show as well? Have you seen that movie? A long time ago, decades ago. I mean, that's that's a crazy one as well. I mean, applause to the Academy for recognizing these movies. These were... These I, I never saw Nicholas and Alexandra, but... No one has. That's, that's <laughs> no one saw has. that movie. Yeah, right. Yeah. But well done on these picks. Tip of the cap to the Academy back in 1971. Mike, why don't you hit us with a plot recap for The French Connection? This movie is a crime thriller based on true events surrounding one of the largest heroin busts in New York City, actually in the United States, taking place in New York City, where the primary culprits originated from France. They smuggled the drugs into the United States, stashed in the inside of a car, and only got caught because a drunk, half-beat detective had a feeling about them at a nightclub he had no business soliciting. And that's the French Connection. (laughs) That's the French Connection. And right away, what is up with... These are the most sudden and severe movie credits I've ever seen. This movie just... The intro starts yeah, with the it's, title. It's screeching music right screeching in your face. <laughs> the, the the credits just ab- appear. They're about fifteen seconds long, and then they are done. And this movie is started. Like, if you were, like, 15 seconds late getting to your seat, like you were getting popcorn or something, you're lost. 
it's intense right from the get-go. Uh, what is up with how long cars were in the 1970s? Just, I know we don't fact check, but I was so, I was so confounded by how long these all steel cars were that I actually Googled it. And one of the cars in the movie, my, just for the record, I, I drive a Honda and my, my like 2017 Honda is 14 and a half feet long. This car from 1970 was 18.8 feet. It's an extra four whole feet just tacked onto Would, this car. Wouldn't even fit in does, any of our garages. No, no, and it adds no value. It's just extra steel. <laughs> what the f*** were they doing back then? What's up with the opening scene where Popeye, the uh, police detective, played by Gene Hackman, who won Academy an Award. Academy yep. Award... For best actor for this film. You have the envelope? Hey, are you guys as nervous as I am? And the winner is... The winner is Mr. Gene Hackman. <laughs> Thank you very much. I, I, uh, I just want to start at the beginning just for a second and, and say sitting out there next to Barbara Harris reminds me of my first acting scene ever was in New York and the gentleman sitting in front of us when we were doing that scene was my acting teacher and I just have to mention his name, George Morris, and I want to thank him. Uh, also, uh, Mr. Billy Friedkin, who has already received his prize tonight, but I have to thank him because he, he really brought me through this when I wanted to quit. And uh, Eddie Egan, who you all know, Mr. Phil D'Antoni, Roy Scheider, Roy, and last, a young lady who I met in New York many years ago. Miss Filippa Maltese, and she brought me up to him. Thank you. He's dressed as Santa Claus, and uh, they're doing a sting operation outside a bar, and he and his partner, Cloudy, played by Roy Scheider, Academy Award nominee for Best Supporting Actor, they're chasing him through the streets of Brooklyn, this... Uh, apparent drug dealer, uh, deadbeat, lowbrow, bad guy, whatever, right? bad yep. guy. Cloudy says to Popeye, watch out, he's got a knife. And then he gets sliced with the knife, Cloudy does, and then bitches at Popeye a minute later, well, how was I supposed to know he had a knife? Like, you just you just told him he had a f- knife. Like, right. we, you were the one who you, raised that You were the guy with, with this intelligence. You right. told him he had a knife. Popeye evaded the knife. You got sliced by the knife. Now the knife becomes a big thing in this discussion. What's up with that? What's up with it being Popeye's fault? Same scene after the catch the guy. This is one of those famous things. What's up with Popeye asking the guy if he's picking his feet in Poughkeepsie? 
Now, he, he does it to kind of throw the guy off, right? Put, put him sort of on his back foot so that when Cloudy comes in and asks him the real questions, he's a little bit more, uh, he's more willing to answer those questions. But but Popeye gets graphic. He He's talking about like you took off your socks, you got your fingers wedged in between your toes, and you picked out your toe jam. Like he's really getting graphic about it. And it's just, it's not only confusing, it's really gross. When's the last time you picked your feet? Huh? Yeah, what's he talking about? I've got a man in Poughkeepsie who wants to talk to you. You ever been in Poughkeepsie? Huh? Have you ever been in Poughkeepsie? Hey, man. Come on, give me a break. Hey, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. Let me hear you say it. Come on. Have you ever been in Poughkeepsie? You've been in Poughkeepsie, haven't you? I want to hear it! Come on! Yes, yes, I've, I've been there. You've been there, there right? Yeah, yeah. You sat on the edge of the bed, didn't you? You took off your shoes, put your finger between your toes, and picked your feet, didn't you? That's it! Yes! All right. You yes. put a shield on my partner. You know what that means? God damn it! All went wrong, I gotta listen to him gripe about his bowling scores. Now, I'm gonna bust your ass for those three bags, and I'm gonna nail you for picking your feet and pickups. It's it's so disgusting. The the first time I watched that movie, I didn't understand the whole non sequiturness of it. Like I didn't know that this was a thing that the cop on whom this story is based used to do just to f- with a suspect, right? Like you just trick them into thinking like, oh no, I, I saw you. You were you were you were doing this nasty in a hotel room once upon a time. But picking your feet is a weird one. Like, yeah, I saw you. You were biting your toenail. You bit it off. It was really big, and then you sniffed it. And then you picked your teeth with it. You like you got some just, junk out of your back molars with it. Like, everyone's no, just gagging. This, like, this uh, is so disgusting. So nasty. <laughs> What's up with after that? They go out to that club you mentioned in the plot recap, and all the bad guys that they just get a vibe about, they all look like coked out vampires in wigs. <laughs> well, P.S. P.S. And spoiler alert. Everybody in this movie is horrifically ugly. How do movies like this get made? In the 70s, you could be an actor, and you could be famous, and you could be fugly. Just, just hideous. Fernando Ray is not a good-looking dude. Not a good-looking guy, Tony Lobianco. What a character. He's a great character actor, because his face is a lot of character. (laughs) Just nasty. There's three minutes of this movie that are attractive and it's the singer dancers at that club. I'm like, well, they sound okay and look all right. Like this is the only attractive moment of this movie. But I agree. But those same singers have a line in their song. One of the lyrics says it's customary in songs like this to use a word like spoon. It's customary songs like this. That was that was an honest lyric. They said it multiple times. It's like they're just vamping. It's like they like they were shooting the club scene and they didn't have any music. So they're like, I don't know, just sing something. And she's like, it's customary in songs like this to use a word like spoon. Like they're just, it's almost like they're scatting. It's so nonsensical. <laughs> they were expecting it to be recorded over and they just never got around to that. It just seems so bizarre that Popeye, who seems like absolute trash, would suggest they go to this club after right. work to hang out for one drink. I'm like, do you even belong in here? This almost looks a little Vegas for Brooklyn. Does this club even exist in Brooklyn? Well, and then 
then they follow this character home. They just decide to tail a guy all night after working a full shift. So there are like, looks no, kind of kind of fishy. Looks fishy, right? They just get a vibe, and then they set up what appears to be a weeks long surveillance, including like <laughs> renting out an apartment across the street from his place of business, or like. All just on the fact that he's he kind of seemed fishy. Like, is this all the probable cause the police needed in the 70s? You could just do anything because they didn't like the cut of your jib. Right. What? I agree. What's up with yes, that? It's, it's based on true events, so this isn't false either. What's up with the perfume shop that they visit having that storefront window? Everything in Brooklyn is totally bizarre. Like, the whole movie is shot in these bizarre sepia tones it's like barely color cinematography and then they'll go to like a weird shop and it looks like babes in toyland all of a sudden it's just so weird well what's up with new york rent being able to be paid for by just perfumes you're right i mean right to to that store's credit 1971 new york looks about as stinky a place as you could ever be (laughs) i mean the place does the city does not come off looking great in this movie it looks sketchy and downtrodden and sort of like, it smells like wet, uh, wet cardboard, you know, just stinky. But I've got to say that that is absolutely my number one favorite thing that I love about this movie. And we haven't talked about what, what we like about this movie. This looks like real New York. I feel like so many movies about New York, you miss all the scaffolding and the just the <laughs> on the sidewalk and the... The homeless people, and it's just, it's shot like this amazing, it's like a Disney movie, Enchanted Like Nora Paradise. Ephron. Yeah. Yes, right? Like Nancy I, Myers. I, yeah. I, I, I love Sleepless in Seattle, but that's not what New York actually looks like. I think that it's a magical place, but I guarantee you, it doesn't look anything like what it looks like in Miracle on 34th Street or right. Sleepless in Seattle. It has its warts, and I think that this movie exposes all of them, and I love that about this movie. I wholeheartedly agree. But getting back to what's up with, what's up with <laughs> the two French guys sit on the same side of the booth at a restaurant? <laughs> really? I don't even do that with my wife. I just think that's weird. What's up with how hard uh, Gene Hackman and Roy Scheider laugh when they're doing an, uh, a wiretap on the bad guy, and the bad guy's wife... Tells them to bring home a pizza, and they just lose they're, their... They're, like, throwing drinks around the room, like, smacking each other in the face, like, doubled over on the floor. Like, this wasn't that funny. Like it's... She she asked him to bring home dinner. And, and I'm going to tie this to a What's Up With, because this is an all What's Up With episode. But one thing I, I do like about the movie as well is that long stretches of it are either silent... Or there's very little dialogue because there's just like tailing a guy through New York City. And then there's a chase scene through New York City. And then there's the big car chase. So, I mean, so there's just long periods. But there's a sequence where Popeye is is tailing this Frenchman, Fernando Ray, your favorite. And it's obvious to all of us and to Popeye that he's been spotted right away. Like he's he's been made two minutes into this tale. But he keeps it up. He's following the guy all over to the point where, like, you know, the guy looks in a a shop window. So Popeye turns the corner and looks in the other window. Then they both look up and make severe eye contact. And then they have to look away. 
Then they get to the the train platform and the subway, and the Frenchman keeps kind of going onto the train. So Papa gets on the train, then he goes off. So Papa gets off. Then he goes back on the train, then Papa gets on the train, then he quick gets off. But they're both still keeping up the pretense that he's not following him, and the other guy doesn't know that he's being followed. <laughs> That's right. What is up with, to act natural, Popeye goes over to the newsstand and says, give me a grape drink. And then when he turns around, he's eating a candy apple. He asked for a grape I drink. I didn't even notice. And then he suddenly got a candy apple in his mouth instead. And then they, then he, he turns around, the Frenchman jumps on the train, and Popeye gets stuck back on the platform. And then it's like... Then the, the, the Frenchman kind of, like, waves goodbye. Like, yeah, oh, he, like, he gives him a you. cute little face sort of wave, yeah. which I thought was also a really stupid idea. Like, if you've gotten away with this, you just turn your head away. And, and of course, this is what creates one of the greatest movie chase scenes in all of history. Well, but but what's up with what's what prompts that is the bad guy's plan is to murder Popeye via a sniper attack. Like, really? This was your plan to sit up on the roof and shoot him from like 300 yards away instead of just walking up next to him and just popping him in the head? Because that would have worked probably way better. Way better. It definitely makes me want to read the book and understand which parts of this were history and which parts of it were just totally made up. Because I think that some of it plays really well in a film and but we've done all what's up with so far so a lot of it doesn't play that well in right. a film but the chase scene is awesome and it holds up is exciting it's thrilling the chase scene is great uh apparently there was a lot that wasn't cleared with new york city at the time that they shot it and there really? were some actual accidents that ensued the woman that's pushing her baby cart uh, across the street, that was actually planned. So she was an actress, a stunt actress that claims all credit for this movie winning any Oscars. Uh, <laughs> if you watch the documentary on the making of. It, it was a big deal at the time. Like They, they considered it the, the best movie chase scene, uh, better than Bullet, which had come out a year or two earlier. Right. Right. Yeah. What's up with them being on a plane from Washington, D.C. to New York that has couches in the back? Yeah, that was awesome. You can just go in the back of the plane plane and there's just a couch. (laughs) What's up with that? I do think that that, planes were just significantly better way back then. I, I don't think that that's all that far off. What's up with the ending of this movie where Popeye is chasing Fernando Ray? He accidentally shoots and kills an FBI agent with whom he had some sort of tough relationships. Doesn't stop. Cloudy stops to kind of check on that guy. We see Popeye run off. We hear a shot. Cut to the credits. Yeah. So you end this movie not knowing is Popeye dead? Is the Frenchman dead? Who shot who? Did anyone die? It just ends. If you watch the making of documentary, Billy Friedkin credits his genius to that being like <laughs> sure he does right, like, that guy thinks really highly of himself and he thinks we had to end with that shot who got shot did he actually make the kill we don't know i'm a wonderkind it is a shocking ending and the fact that there's no way on god's green earth a movie would end like that today 
Well, that's exactly what he says. And he actually said that exactly. Never. Billy Friedkin says, you can't make a movie end like that today. Like, someone needs some sort of closure. And he's probably right. Oh, absolutely. Every studio exec would be like, no, 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 no. We can't do this. We got to draw this out and have, like, ten different endings where... The endings just keep coming, and then there's another song and a montage, and then we get another ending. No, this is just, it just fades to black. It's shocking. I mean, just as sudden as the movie starts, the, the movie ends, and, and you're really just left confused. And then they do some title cards where they try to explain uh, of the different players that were involved in the case what happened. And what's up with, what's up with one of them? It's like he was released because there wasn't enough evidence. Well, we see that character shooting out a window while surrounded at police officers in a building full of drugs and money. So how do they not like they found the drugs, they found the money he's shooting at police and they didn't have any evidence that he he was there. It was just, I don't know what other evidence you need. Apparently for the, like looking at a guy sideways, you can have a weeks long stakeout. But when you actually arrest someone but holding it, drugs it, and a smoking gun, that's not you, enough you evidence. You just get to go home. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> What's up with that? Buddy, are you ready for five questions? Sure, let's do it. All right. Would this film be remembered if not for the car chase scene? I, th- uh, I think it would. I-, I think for the reasons you mentioned earlier, the gritty depiction of New York, the... This was one of the earlier films to feature a real anti-hero in that Popeye Doyle is really not a very likable character. Yeah. He's sort of a racist, drunk, lout, but he's a good cop, so we all kind of put up with him. Right. Um, so I think there's a lot going for it. I, I think it would still be remembered, but the chase scene, that's certainly when I saw this movie, you know, 25 years ago, whenever it was, that's what people talked about, and, and they kept saying, you got to watch it for this reason. Sure. So... Speaking of Popeye, Gene Hackman had a hard time saying Doyle's racist language without cringing. Want to give it a try? <laughs> no. No, I'm good. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> skip that one. Uh, next question. Is this the worst case of a French actor peddling his dopey product since Gerard Depardieu promoted 1994's My Father the Hero? Gerard Depardieu being oh, did some I pronounce sort of it movie wrong? star. It, fine. Okay. All right. The fact that the fact that we both know who he is and yeah. the fact that he was a movie star is shocking. It's <laughs> how was he a thing in France? Let alone some sort of import that for a right. while American audiences were like, "Oh my God, there's a new Gerard Depardieu film. We got to go check it out, honey." What? Next question. I needs to score me some gangsta skag. Can you help a long-time listener get well? <laughs> Jeez, listeners. No, I I have no access to skag. Okay. Uh l- listeners, I'll if you can reach out to me on my email address, I'll I'll help you out with right. this private after, message uh, mic. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Danny's no good. Uh a final question, buddy. After one after one book, two films, and a 1986 made-for-TV movie, we never learn how Popeye Doyle got his nickname. Is there any satisfaction knowing Cloudy got his name from an untreated UTI? 
You know, I've never once given a second thought to Cloudy's nickname and why right. he why he's right. called that. He's he's just so sad. It's just Roy Scheider on the side. Yeah. Just, poor Roy Scheider. He's just like he's like steak fries. You know, they're nobody's favorite. But you like them. They're okay. You know, if they're seasoned well, if there's a good dipping sauce, if the steak itself is great. But, like, normally not great. They're no zesty fries. They're not curly. They're not crinkle cuts. They're not waffle fries. They're steak fries. They're steak fries. They're just, they're fine. They're Roy Scheider. Except for Jaws, where he's totally charming, and I love that movie, and I can't wait to watch it this summer, as I have every year for 20 years. All right, that's five questions. Thanks, listeners. Thank you, thank you, listeners. In closing, I would just say I think I am truly surprised that this movie was nominated for Best Picture and won Best Picture. It is relatively short. It is gritty. It's a cop procedural featuring long stretches of either chasing or stakeouts where no one says anything. It has a very sudden and not terribly satisfying ending. I really don't know how this was nominated and how this won. But you like it. Only thing I can think of, I love it. I love the movie. I just think it's such a non-traditional choice. And I honestly, when I was thinking about it, thought, did all those other voters just split the votes? You know, did Fiddler on the Roof got a bunch and Clockwork was such a weird counterculture choice that it took a bunch of votes and this sort of ended up being left on the podium. I I don't know. I'm really glad it won. It's interesting, but there's no other best picture like it. Yeah, no, I I agree. It's it is a tough call. I I would say that I would vote for this one over Clockwork Orange, having seen both of those, and over Fiddler on the Roof, having seen that as well. I really like this movie. I think that the Academy got it right, uh, but it is an interesting choice and a great usher into the era of gritty movies that the Academy not only recognized for best picture, but started to nominate across the board for the next decade. And I think that that's a really important part of American film history. And uh, I love the movie. I I love Gene Hackman in the movie. I love Roy Scheider in the movie. I love Billy Friedkin because he loves himself. He loves uh, himself, yes. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's a great, great film. Totally agree. What do we got coming up next? Coming up next, we got the new Star Wars film, Solo, starring Paul Bettany. Thanks for listening to the Spoiler Alert podcast. Please visit us online at movieoutsiders.com, where you can see what films we'll be discussing next, comment on our recent episodes, suggest movies to review or topics to discuss, or submit questions for the five questions segment of the podcast. Stop by and visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash movieoutsiders, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at movieoutsiders. If you're a fan of the show, we'd really appreciate you leaving a review on iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast subscription service you use. We'll be back again next week with another episode, but until then, enjoy the movies.